And the pastor said, glory to God. (laughs) We love kids. Amen? We love kids. Especially when someone else is watching them for us. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody awake? That was great worship, wasn't it? And uh, it's great to be in God's house. Um, So, you know, when you have kids... They embarrass you, especially publicly. They embarrass you. You guys know that, right? That happens. So I want to I kind of get some payback. Um, so I want to embarrass my son. My son Josiah is with us. You want to just stand up just for a second, Josiah? So it's my turn to get back. Uh, so make sure you welcome him. Uh, you know, they embarrass us all the time. Now it's our chance to embarrass them in public, right? Um, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, how many of you, you know, probably some of the worst traumatic experiences as a parent has been in Walmart, right? You know? And, uh, you know, there's times you hear these kids just acting crazy. You walk around the corner and it's your kids. You know, you're like, oh, my goodness, you know. But uh, thank, thank, make sure you thank the children's workers and those that, that are back there. That's a sacrifice, uh, you know, to be back there. But God blesses it. Make sure you thank them. Make sure you thank uh, the nursery workers and the children's workers. I'm going to do my best to stay on point, to keep it moving. Uh, one reason why is my wife has always really been active involved in children's ministry and nursery. And so if I would preach too long, I would hear it when I would get home. <laughs> and so, you know, so the nursery workers, we really want to make sure that we're on point, keeping it moving. Uh, that way uh, we can let you get back to, to those wonderful little blessings. Amen. Um, and so make sure you thank the workers real quick, had a chance to help, uh, Gina move yesterday, uh, got a little bit of an extra workout in and I'm still dealing with this elevation thing. I just want to get here and stay here. So, you know, September 14th, 15th, no matter what we're moving here. Okay. We're here. So you're going to have to put up with us for good. Um, but I, amen. Okay, good. Well, I don't know. After this sermon, there might be a Revo. I'm kind of a little nervous. You know, that was that sermon. We'll see what happens on this one. But if there's not a Revo, if I survive this week, we'll be here, God willing, September 14th or 15th. No matter what, we'll be here, and we're excited to be here. But we got to help uh, Gina move yesterday, and going up and down the steps and stuff, and the, and the high elevation, I'm like, my son and I are like, <sighs> and I was like, man, you know, it's like, and then what happens is by about the third day, I'm acclimated, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And then I leave and I go back home and then we come back again. So this is my third time, but I'm kind of just can't wait to just be acclimated. Amen. Looking forward to that. But we're going to be in First Thessalonians uh, chapter three, uh, verses five through uh, 13. I had an opportunity the other night to go to the Canyon View Cedar game, what an awesome game. There was really no loser in the game. Both teams played amazing. It was awesome. Uh, and we got to meet a lot of people, really felt welcomed by the community. It was such an awesome time. So uh, I know Cedar won in overtime. So all you Cedar people, are you going to cheer? You have a right to. But Canyon View really did an awesome job, too. It was a great game. And I have to be very diplomatic in how, how, we, how we do these things around here. We love both the teams, you know. And there is no loser. Because now in the United States, no one ever loses. We're all winners, right? <laughs> we have to be very politically correct now. So First Thessalonians 3, 5 through 13. You ready for the word? We'll get right into it, okay? If you just follow along, if you can. I'd like to read the passage of Scripture. This is a series that our church has been in. And so let us continue. Verse number five, you left off there last week. But listen to what Paul says to this church at Thessalonica. He says, for this reason, 
When I could stand it no longer. Look at that. Even Paul sometimes just had a point where he was just, I can't stand it anymore. I'm done here. I got to do something about this. He says, I sent to find out about your faith. Notice this. When a few times you'll hear Paul, if maybe the first time, maybe one of the only times, you'll hear ever Paul say he was afraid of something. Talk about a man of courage, a man who died for the faith. He died a martyr's death. And he says, I was afraid. But notice what it was. It was not for his life. Listen to what he says. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. You know, let me just pause for a moment. I might not even get to the notes, but that's okay. You don't know what the notes are, so you won't know if, you, if it was there or not. Listen to what I'm about to say. Paul did not say, I was afraid for your lives. Now, when Paul was writing this letter, the church of Thessalonica is under tremendous persecution. If you recall, Paul went in Acts 17, it records, he went and he started that church. And he was only there for three Sabbaths, three weeks, less than a month. And what happened? He was run out of town. They tried to kill him. And and the the church leader said, you have to go. we got to keep you doing what you're doing. And so they sent him packing and he had to leave. And Paul was so burdened for this church and worried, if you will, concerned and and burdened for this church that later he sends Timothy back. But I want you to notice something. Under all this persecution, he didn't say, I I worry that you die for your faith. By By the way, there's persecution going on right now. Think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan as we pray for them. We pray for them. Many times what we do is we say, Lord, deliver them. You know, keep them. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, humanly speaking, yes, we pray that God would preserve their life. But that is not the worst thing. There is something worse than that for a believer. And that is this. is to allow the enemy, to allow Satan to get victory in our lives. And so his, what he was worried about was not that they would, would die even. Because to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be what? present with the Lord. That's, that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is this. He says, what I was most concerned about is that you would, you would fall, if you will, in your faith, that you would stumble and that the tempter would get the best of you. And so notice what he says. So he says, I'm going to send Timothy, verse six, but Timothy had just now come to us. So remember he sent Timothy and Timothy brings back the report. This is the report. He has come to us now to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, notice this, persecution, distress, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, listen to these words, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you and in return for all the joy We have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God. Of our God the Father, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all of his holy ones. So Paul writes this letter to the church after he receives the good news from Timothy. And there's just a number of, 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 of things that I see that Paul pouring out his heart as he writes this letter back. The first thing I want you to notice is his concern. Remember what we said he was concerned. He was, he said, I was afraid. And once again, not for their lives. 
not just because they're under persecution, but notice what he was concerned about. Verse 5 says, he says he couldn't stand it anymore. (laughs) And he said, I had to do something. So I sent Timothy to check up on you. And obviously he came back with this great report. But notice his concern. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might be in vain. You see, what we're reminded of is this, is, is what Paul is saying to him. He says, he says, I was concerned. I was, if you will, we could use the term probably worried. He was anxious. He's burdened. And he, 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 he was saying, I was concerned that the tempter in some way was able to have victory over your lives. What we're reminded of, I think the key here is this, is that Paul reminds us of the, the fact that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in spiritual warfare, and it is real. And it is, it is real and it is happening. By the way, it is happening not only here, but it's happening around the world. There is a great spiritual battle that is taking place. Good versus evil. And Paul says, I was concerned that the enemy, that the tempter, that he would get victory in your lives. That because of the persecution, because of the distress, because of all that's being thrown at you, that you're going to be tempted and you're going to be led away. May I remind us all of something that we're in a great spiritual battle. Would you agree with me this morning? We see it all around us. There is spiritual warfare going on. It is old as the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. You had this perfect society, perfect, perfect union, husband and wife, and everything's great. And they're in the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's wonderful, man and wife, and it, it's paradise. There were no children, so it was paradise, amen? <laughs> No dirty diaper. It was paradise. And so it was wonderful. It was awesome. And everything was going great. And they walked with God in the cool of the day. But we know what happened. The tempter came. Satan came. And he tempted Adam and Eve. And he tempted them. And we see the fall. We're reminding Ephesians 6. Listen to what Paul says. He says, put on the whole armor of God. That may have us stand against the, the schemes and the methods of the devil. I like what he says. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is spiritual wickedness that's taking place all around us. And there is a battle, a great spiritual battle, and we are in that battle. And the Bible calls it here a wrestling match. I am a wrestling coach, and wrestling is grueling. And it's difficult and it's hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm telling you, it's difficult. And he says, you are in a spiritual conflict, spiritual battle, and you are at war. We are at war with the enemy. Are you with me this morning? And he says, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned about you. And he says, because I care about you, I'm sending Timothy to see how you're doing. Let me just emphasize something. We are in a spiritual battle and... And in this spiritual battle, our enemy, our adversary, Satan, is very good at what he does. Probably one thing when it comes to like coaching and sports, you have these awesome people up here playing and singing. You know, one thing that goes a long ways is experience. You know, sometimes you'll have kids who are really athletic and really good and they're really strong, and especially in wrestling, because wrestling is a lot of technique. And it's, you know, baseball is the same way. A lot of, it's a lot of technique and a lot of experience. 
And you'll get kids who are kind of newer to the sport, and they'll come out to the sport, and, and maybe they're a super athlete. I mean, they're just, I mean, and they're, they're just, they have muscle everywhere, and they're athletic, and they're quick, and they're fast, and, and they think they walk in this room, and they see this little, little skinny little kid over here has hardly any muscle on him, and they think, oh, I'm going to just go, and I'm just going to, I'm going to just put the beat down on him. And all of a sudden, they get out there, and they, they start wrestling and this little skinny dude that they think they're just going to throw around just throws them around. You know what I'm saying? And they turn him into a human pretzel. And they're like, what just happened? I'm like, listen, listen, dude, they've got like years and years of experience. Can I tell you something? Satan has thousands and thousands of years of experience, and he's good at what he does. Very good. Not only does he have thousands of years of experience, understand this, he has thousands and thousands of case studies that he goes back and says, okay, what works, what doesn't work? And I'm going to find a way, and Satan does. Okay, it didn't work this time, but I'm going to come again. Can I just tell you something? You may have victory yesterday, but the battle is not over. We still got to face today and tomorrow. Are you with me? We're in a great spiritual conflict. His concern, his concern what well, notice his compliment. I like this. He compliments them. He says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you, verse 6. But he's brought good news about your faith and love. Standing firm in the faith. Notice this, in the Lord. Standing firm in your faith in the Lord. You see, what, what happened is this. We see this compliment. Despite all of the persecution, despite that Paul was only there for a few weeks, we see that God's word was strong and powerful. And that God's word brought life change to each one of them. And in this life change, they were standing firm in the faith. And they were continually serving God. And despite just a short time and despite the, the persecution, he came with a good report that these people were living for God. Are you with me? In spite of it all. In spite of the concern he had, the spiritual warfare, he's still living for God. And still striving and living for God. The, the church was. Now, maybe this is a cue because we have, we have some whack going on. And it actually fits right into the sermon, believe it or not. You see, understand this. We have every opportunity to live for God. Let me put it in these terms. We have no excuses. We have no excuses. They were under tremendous persecution, and these people were still living for God. Paul had to leave because of persecution, but they were still living for God. When Paul writes back and he compliments them, one thing I wanted to say is this, is that, you know something, if these people, the people at Thessalonica, under all the persecution and all that they had been through, were still standing firm, don't miss this, Paul had only been there for three Sabbaths, about a month, three and a half to four weeks, yet they were still able to live for God. You know many times we, we make excuses for why we can't live for God? And why we're not standing firm. And we see here that, that, that Paul compliments them. And in that compliment, what it does is it challenges me to say, you know what, I have no excuse. Because I have a whole lot more going for me, really, than they did. You know, we have an awesome church and a body of believers. I mean, we, we have a lot going for us. And we, we don't have excuses for when we allow the enemy to get victory in our lives. Are you with me this morning? And so it brings me to this point that as a wrestling coach, I don't like hearing excuses. And so over the years, especially when you start coaching a team for a long period of time, over the years, kids will have excuses. And so this leads up to the wah, okay? So 
after a while, after being there a short while, especially when you start coaching for a while, kids will start making excuses. Oh, I, I just can't. Uh, it's just, oh, coach, it, it hurts. Uh. And so I started going, this is what I would do. I would go, Wah! in the wrestling room. I would, as loud and as obnoxious as I can. And you'd see the kid kind of look at you and kind of like roll his eyes and grin. And so over a period of years, you coach five, six years, the same kids. Then you start getting those freshmen, and then they're sophomore, and then they're junior, and they're senior. And so even this past year, you know, it's COVID year. We were shut down for a long time. We opened up. A, I said, well, guys, we're not making excuses. You know our motto, no excuses. I made my three-car garage into, we called it the dojo. It was called Joe's Pizza and Dojo, okay? <laughs> Priorities in the right place. So we had Joe's Dojo, and we called it the Jojo. It's, listen to me, it's 115 degrees. 115 degrees at 4 p.m., and we have the garage doors open, and we're training. We're doing kettlebell circuits. We're doing ropes. We're, we set up 10, 12, 13 guys. We had a 10-man 10, 10 team, 10-man varsity team, because COVID pretty much shut it down. And we were, we were the last team in the state of Arizona to be allowed to wrestle because of our district and because of our school. I don't know if this is the proper term. They're just so liberal. You know, it's like, come on, guys. Well, we, you know, we're looking out for their health. Let me think about this. Sit on your couch, eat three bags of potato chips, do absolutely nothing. It's good for a 14-year-old's health. I don't think so. Let them work out. Let them get some exercise. Let them be around some germs and, germs and build up an immunity. Amen? Amen? You know, it's like when you have kids. You have kids. The first kid's born, it, it touches the ground. You pick it up and you throw it away. That's what we did. The second, second kid comes along, fall, food falls around, you pick him, you blow it off, and you kind of wipe it and you give it to him. The third kid comes along, it falls on the ground, you know, they just pick it up and eat it, you're good. Fourth kid, this is what we do, we just go like this. <laughs> they just run around. Come on now, it's good for them. No excuses. Quit making excuses. Live for God. And so in the wrestling room, what would happen is this. As we're in the wrestling room, a kid would start making excuses. And the other, guy, other wrestlers were like, do it, coach. Do it. Drop it. Drop it. And then they would just edge me on. And I'd, I'd sit there for and the kid would be like, eh, eh, it's so hard. Like, drop it, coach. Do it, coach. Do it. And all of a sudden, I'd go, Wah! And sure enough, you know, they'd snap out. I'm like, quit, quit crying. Step up. Man up. Let's go. You know, can I say this spiritually speaking? Brothers and sisters in Christ, family of God, let's quit making excuses for why we're not living for God. There are people right now in Afghanistan who are paying the ultimate price that if they have even a, 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 a Bible app on their phone, they will be tortured and executed. Yet they're standing firm in the faith. What excuse do we have? For not living for God. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to get up in the morning to go to church. Oh, it's so hard to be consistent. Wah! It's in the Greek. Wah! Get out of bed. Get up and serve God. Come on now, folks. I told you there's going to be a revote. It's going to be in trouble. I can't, I can't give. I can't give. It's, it's too much of a sacrifice. You can't give. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, and he sacrificed everything so you and I can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Can I say, we, we should be willing to sacrifice of our time and of our treasures and our talents and our abilities to live for God. We shouldn't have excuses. Come on. Amen. Number three, the connection. He has told us, 
By the way, there's only 66 points, just giving you a heads up. You're like, number three, we're in trouble. No, there's five, all right? So we're getting there, right? It's basically halfway. This one's brief, the connection. In verse 6, the second part of verse 6, he says, He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. If you were to skip down in verse 10, he says, Night and day we prayed most earnestly that we'll see you again. In verse 12, he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as our love does for you. There was this connection that Paul had with God's people. They were close. There was unity. He loved them. They loved him. When Paul sent Timothy to find out how they're doing and he gets the good news back, one thing that was said is they said, we, just, we can't wait to see you again. We want to be reconnected. There was this connection. May I say, isn't there a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing that many times even total strangers who may not have a lot of things in common, but when you have Christ in common, there's that connection. Are you with me? And you just connect. You know, you're just like, man, you just hit it off. And, you know, I want to just say this. For my family and for myself, I have that connection here at Red Hills. My desire is to get here as soon as possible. So no matter what, September 14th or 15th, whenever we get that truck loaded, we will be here. I'm not sure what all of it's going to look like, but we will be here because our hearts are here. This is where my heart is. Not only this church, but this community. God has burdened my heart for this community. And as a church family, may we live and walk and talk and laugh and work together, amen, and pray together to do what God has called us to do. But there was this connection. They were family. They were brothers and sisters. They were community. And they were there for one another. Yesterday was a beautiful thing. At 8 a.m. to show up to go help Gina and her daughters to help her move. And when we got there, all of a sudden, here comes a truck, here comes another truck, here comes a truck and a trailer, another truck and a trailer, and another. They were all, man, like an army. It was like ants. People were looking out the windows like, what is going on out there? Can I tell you, that is a testimony. That is a testimony of the family of God. And that is so important that when people, when neighbors and people see that, you know what? When they're a part of Red Hills, they, they are there for each other. They are a community. Listen to me. We must build our community strong. There was a connection. They were connected. Notice the challenge. See, we're moving pretty quick now. The challenge. Listen to what he says towards the end of verse 10, but notice this. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. But notice this little, notice this. I think this would be missed by just a quick read. But he says, and supply what is lacking in your faith. In the different version, it will say this. Some other versions will say that you will supply, that we can help supply what is, where there's gaps in your faith. Verse 13, he says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. So we see that he, he compliments them. Now follow me, though. He says, I'm going to compliment you. You're standing firm. You're doing great. But did you catch this? He says, in essence, you haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. You have some growth 
to do. There's some gaps in your faith. There's some areas that you need to be strengthened, that you need to, to grow in. And so what we find here is the challenge. The challenge is this. He says, you have not arrived yet, that you still have growing to do. In essence, we're a work in progress, and that, that we are not there yet. You know, and can I say this? None of us have arrived yet, and there's gaps in our faith. Would you agree with that? There are some gaps in our faith. And you know, even right now as we're sitting here and the Word of God is being shared, the Holy Spirit has a way of, of pointing things out in our lives. And, and as we're kind of getting ready to wind this down, here's, here's the challenge for today is this, the same challenge that Paul had for the church at Thessalonica. He says, let me compliment you. You're doing some great things. Red Hills, you're doing some awesome things, doing some great things. And God is using Red Hills. Amen? He really is. And you're doing some awesome things. But can I tell you something? We've got a lot of growing to do. I didn't say you. I said we have a lot of growing to do. I have, there's areas in my life that I need to grow in. There's some areas I have some gaps in my faith. I'll be honest. The last few weeks, patience is one that has really been rough. And God's saying, you know what? You know what, Joe? I'm going to have to work on your patience just a little bit. What gaps do you have in your faith? What gaps, what areas do we need to grow in? And so he challenges this church. He says, listen, you have some growing to do. Look at 2 Peter 3. Listen to what Peter says, verses 1 through 9. We may be able to have it for you up there. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Do you see that? We have no excuses. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and, and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. By the way, we still have those evil desires that are always battling our flesh is battling our spirit. Are you with me? Evil desires. You know when that person cuts you off as you're driving you know, through town, you have evil desires, you know? What are you going to do about that? You know, we do. We struggle. And, in a, on a, you know, we laugh. But, and at the same time, I'm joking. But on a serious side, listen, our flesh, we battle with it every day. We battle with it. And it's a war. And so Peter says, for this very reason, notice what he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. You see, understand this. Many times when we come to faith, we say, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe in Christ and he's my savior. But for many people, that's where it stops. They come to faith in Christ, but they think that's it. Can I tell you something? That is not it. That's the beginning of the journey. That's the beginning. That is the beginning of, of your relationship and your walk with God. But notice what he says. Notice there's a lot of adding that should be happening. He says, he says make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So you got to be gooder. Amen? You know, that's probably in the Greek too. But, you know, here's the thing is, he says, add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, notice, here's one many of us struggle with, self-control. And to self-control perseverance. This could be a whole series Perseverance, he says, you need to add to that godliness, in the godliness, mutual affection, in the mutual affection, love. He says, if you possess these qualities, 
Notice in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted. Notice that, and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Peter goes on to say at the end, one of the last verses of the book of Peter, he says, but grow in grace. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow. Can I say this? We should be growing in our relationship and our walk with God. The Christian life is about adding to our faith. Amen? We come to faith in Jesus Christ, but there should be growth. His challenge to his church, I love this. He compliments him, says, you guys, are, you guys are awesome. You guys are doing a great job. You're living for God and you're standing firm, Lord. But, are you with me? But the challenge, you have some growing to do. You have some gaps in your faith. Don't take this the wrong way, but can I just tell you something? You all have some growing to do. Why is it so quiet? Can I say it again? Bear witness now. You all have some growing to do. Are you with me? Amen. Do you agree? Hey, I have some growing to do. I have a lot of growing to do. I am not there yet. I have not arrived. And so he challenges them. He talks at the end. He says, you have, the way I would interpret it for me personally is this. You have blind spots. You have blind spots in your faith, in your walk with God that Paul says, I want to help you with. You know, when I'm driving a lot of times, I mean, it even happened on the way here. My son was with me, and he's always, because the way I, well, that's a whole other story how I drive. Um, but I'm aggressive. Let's just put it that way. You know, I'm an aggressive driver. I grew up in the East Coast and uh, used to drive in inner city Philadelphia, and it's just, let's say, aggressive. And then, you know, you get into city driving. But there's times, you know, you put the turn signal on. And by the way, aren't you thankful for those little lights that blink in the mirror now? What do they call that? Like blind spot, whatever they call it. But, and then all of a sudden the car starts beeping at you. Beep, 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 beep. I use that thing a lot. I think the fuse is just blown in mine. I'm not sure. <laughs> we have blind spots. And so many times over the years, there have been a lot of times before that, and even since that, I'll be with my son or my wife or my daughter, or whatever, we'll be driving. And, you know, and there is, there is. You, know, you look in the rear of your mirror, you take a quick glance. You can, you know, if you use your turn signal most of the time, you'll put it on, you'll start to go in that other lane. And all of a sudden, my kids will be like, da, 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 and I'll, I'll swerve back. And I mean, and, and, you know, when you do and you kind of look over, you have this person sitting next to you in the car and you're going, <laughs> you know, and you're like, you know, like, but they'll warn you and they'll say, watch out, watch out. And, and how, many, how many of you have ever experienced that? You've been in a car, so, at least a few of you, okay. Don't lie in church, all right. You'll have to confess it later. And so you swear, and so I don't know how many times, and I'll even say, oh, jeez, thank you. I'm glad you saw that. I don't get mad at them. I don't get mad at them because they helped me from, you know, getting off and, and getting into an accident. And think about it this way, causing destruction. Can I say this? Paul says, I, you have some blind spots in your, in your life. Peter mentions these blind spots, and we all have them. And that's why we need one another, amen? And that's why God calls pastors and evangelists and, and puts people in our lives to challenge us to, to, to get rid of some of those blind spots in our lives. Are you with me? And so he challenges them. We have blind spots. We all have growth to do in our lives. We are a work in progress. We have not arrived. I tell my wife that all the time. She'll get upset or things. I'm just a work in progress. Just a work in progress. Just saying. Be patient with me. 
And she'll say other things like, oh, you're a whole lot more than a work in progress, let me tell you. <laughs> you're going to be seeing Jesus real soon. <laughs> so you better get ready, husband. You better get ready because you're going to see him real soon. Lastly, verse 13, the comfort. He says this, he may strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and our Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. He reminds them with this comfort that Jesus Christ is coming again. They're under tremendous persecution. They're in distress. They're in the spiritual battle. They're in the spiritual warfare. And he says, listen, I want you to be ready for when the Lord returns. And may I just challenge you that you and I should be ready because, listen to me, Jesus Christ, he's coming soon. He is coming again. Jesus is coming again. We must be living with eternity in mind that this time here on earth is temporary. We're here for a brief moment. And I truly believe this. We're seeing the signs of the times all around us. Watch the news. Pay attention with what's going on. And we can see that truly his coming is very, very near. And we as a church, we must be ready. We as God's people must be ready that we'll be blameless, that we'll be holy, that we are growing. The challenge was that we'll grow in our faith, that we become more like Christ so that when he comes, we don't have to be ashamed. Amen? And so he, re- he gives us comfort. He says, I know you're in the battle. I know you're going through the struggle. I know that you're under tremendous persecution. But he, he kind of finishes this chapter after challenging them. He finishes by saying, let me tell you, it's worth it because Jesus Christ, he is coming again. Church, listen to me. It's worth standing firm in the faith. It's worth it because Jesus Christ is coming again. And I cannot wait till that day. But it is soon. Amen? It is soon. And Paul says, brothers, family of God, be ready because he is coming again. He will deliver us from this place. Amen? I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to know that Jesus Christ is coming again and that we're going to see him. And I believe it is very, very soon. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Would you stand together with me this morning? We're going to have a word of prayer. Would you stand and...